Hey guys, quick note before we get started. What's up? This is Chase. I wanted to say this episode is so good with Charles Eisenstein. We get into some really deep, really important mindset shift changes that honestly, for me, you will literally listen to me and hear me learning out loud something that is incredibly important to me that I hadn't put together before. So it might take a little while to get into it, but let it build because it is awesome in the end. Then we have sponsors for this show. I want to tell you about FreshBooks. FreshBooks is small business accounting software, helps you create invoices that you can send to customers easily, right? And it makes you look super professional. It helps track if they've seen the email, if they've opened it, right? And it helps you get paid right there. You got to check out FreshBooks. You can get 30 days of unrestricted access to FreshBooks at freshbooks.com slash fizzle and enter fizzle in the how did you hear about a section. Also, storyblocks.com. Now, I've been using this like crazy as I've been putting together a presentation, which I'm going to tell you about in a second for a new live course. Storyblocks.com slash fizzle is where you go to get this deal on a year of unrestricted access to their library of video, images, and audio. Okay, so we're talking about footage and backgrounds and templates for video. There's photos, illustrations, and vectors. There's also music, sound effects, and loops for anything you're doing, including all those social images. This is the best deal I've seen out there for some pretty dang stellar images and illustrations. Go to storyblocks.com slash fizzle to check it out today. And now for the matter at hand, your website, right? Your website. Have you ever heard that thing, the cobbler's kids have no shoes? The cobbler who can make the shoes just like forgets about making them for his kid, right? Your website is the kind of thing that you might be forgetting to do as you're out there doing your business stuff. And you can't, you know why? To your customers, your website is your business. That's who they think you are. They're like, who is this person? They go to your website and then they make assumptions about you. So if your story that you're telling there is not up to date, if your messaging, if your what you are saying there is not accurate and true, then you are missing out. Your website is not effective and your website needs to be effective in the modern day. Now, you can do a lot of things on your site. How do you know which things to fix? Which are the things that actually matter. That's what we get into in this live training because that's what we're doing. A live training for three days, possibly two, but it looks like it's going to be three days of live live training with me and Corbett, potentially Steph, if we can figure out how to make Skype work with this huge video thing we're doing. (laughs) You're going to be able to ask your questions live. And even if you can't make it live, you're going to be able to get all of the training yourself to own forever if you want it. It'll come free with Fizzle membership or you can buy it on the side. It's going to be affordable right now and we're going to bump up the price later on because this is like the first time we're doing a live course thing. So definitely check it out if you're seeing it in launch week. This is fizzle.co slash tune up so that your website can get effective and you stop losing your customers and your visitors. So find out more at fizzle.co slash tune up. I hope to see you there. Let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to the Fizzle Show! (laughs) I 
love, I love that I do that. It's like an air horn in your ears right now. Listen, welcome to the Fizzle Show where we talk about things that are interesting to small business builders. And if you're a new listener here, I want to say welcome. You know that every week we talk about things that are necessary and interesting for indie entrepreneurs. Independent entrepreneurship is what we're about. People earning a living doing something that they care about. Now, if you're new, we put together a toolkit with our most essential and most popular episodes of the show, along with other excellent resources for indie entrepreneurs. Okay, The business sketch template is just one of them, and it's killer. If you're an indie entrepreneur at any stage of the journey, please, please, please have this free gift from us. You go to fizzle.cool slash fizzle.cool? Yes, please. We should get that. Fizzle.co fizzle.co slash toolkit. All right? And it's totally for free. It's our gift to you for being a listener of the show and checking it out. Um, Now, on our show today, we have a very special guest. I'm very excited about this, okay? He's an author, a scholar, a speaker, He's known for his thoughtful and challenging articles on civilization, culture, and consciousness, things that I tend to geek out about way too much, which he also which he publishes these things at charleseisenstein.net. He has a degree in mathematics and philosophy from Yale. He's written a book called Sacred Economics, which is profoundly interesting, and another book called The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible, which I love the title of. He lives in Asheville, and I'm excited to have this guy on the show. Charles Eisenstein's on the show. I'm excited to have him on because my introduction to his ideas so far It just makes me really curious, and it strikes me with a sense that this guy has some profound and informed insights about how the economics of modern societies work, right? And how it could work. Now, many of us here, we're just, we're just lonely, you know, we're just lonely little indie entrepreneurs, cobblers out here, uh, doing our work, and we have to focus on doing our work all the time, nonstop, and we don't get to come up for air very often because our livelihood depends on this stuff, right? We're bootstrappers, creatives, and freelancers, and all of that stuff. And we're working tirelessly on our businesses, right? But none of us want to contribute to an economics that pollutes, that disenfranchises, that widens the gap between the rich and the poor, right? None of us want to do that. We live in a, you know we live in a world that's that's constantly developing into these interesting shapes and and I'm curious to see at what level many of us think about these kinds of things because for me personally I have to build my email list I have to try to get products into customers hands I have to try to put food on the table my son's gluten free now and those crackers are quite expensive don't you know it and stuff like that right so I'm really excited to get into this conversation with Charles. Charles, thanks so much for being on the show with us, man. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah. So I'm I'm very curious. I want to just d- dive into your story first. Just w- like, how did you come to be doing what you're doing today? You're a writer, speaker, author, activist. Like, what is the stage in your history where this path that you're on was like kind of just starting to form? Well, gosh, it's been a long time since I've had a uh, profession that I did to make money. Yeah. But I did once upon a time have a profession like that when I was a translator in Taiwan Mm. back in my twenties. And, you know, I was making really good money. I had, I was freelance, you know, I had independence, uh, prestige. It was a perfect job by any outward measure, but 
all the time I was translating whatever people would pay me to do. Could be business documents, academic, uh, government, whatever. And I realized that, gosh, the only reason that I'm doing this is because I'm paid to do it. Mm. But do I ever get to do anything in my life that I actually care about? And the idea, you know, as the years went on, and I got into my late 20s, this kind of panic took over my, it was like, it wasn't an outward panic, but it was kind of this um, anxiety in the back of my mind that was, when do I get to live my life and mm-hmm. not the life I'm paid to live? And that that set in motion a long process of, I mean, first just trying to answer the question, what do I want to do with my life? What is my life? What does that look like? And then when I began to awaken to what that was, then how do I translate that into a profession, into a career, into a way to make money, Mm. put food on the table? Yeah. Yeah. So this, this translation job was where you sort of realized, wait, why am I doing this? I'm only doing this to get paid. Right. And from there, where did you go? Like you, you, you obviously, you wanted to be, to be teaching in some way, shape or form. And that seems to be what your books are doing. Where did you go from the, from the translation jobs? Uh, I tried a bunch of stuff. I started writing books, uh, not too long after that. Hmm. And I had a very brief stint teaching at a university, despite my lack of any higher degrees. Hmm. Somehow I was, I don't know how it happened, but I ended up (laughs) teaching a class at Penn state. And I realized that that's, actually the worst place to teach uh, at at a university because kind of like in the economy, people were there because they thought that it was going to enhance their success in life, Mm. that they would get a degree so they could get a good job. They weren't there to learn. And, and I began, you know, I don't really, I'm not sure if I really would call myself a teacher. Usually I say I'm a writer and a speaker because I don't have, the only real skill that I have is is writing, really, mm. and speaking. I mean, it's not like I can teach people carpentry or yeah. computer programming or anything like that. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I began doing some of this, some of that, and writing books. And eventually, it became obvious that that's what I'm here to do. It, it, the the, I, I started writing The Ascent of Humanity, which was this really long book that took me four years to write. It just mm. wouldn't let go. Yeah. Like, I just had to keep doing it. I wouldn't, it's not like I said, okay, what's the best way I can make a living doing something that is challenging, doing something that is meaningful? Mm. It was the other way around. It was like, I have to do this challenging and meaningful thing. And boy, I hope I can somehow convert this into a living. <laughs> totally. But that's not my starting point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so that was the first that was the first piece of work that in your sort of like independence that really felt like it needed to be made. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah, and then so that and from that that kind of broke the seal and you started looking at this path of being an authory type, finding out a way to or to grow your audience, sell your books, get speaking engagements well, and things like that. I don't like know. That. I never I never really enjoyed doing the things you're supposed to do to grow your audience, yeah. sell books. Yeah. And and I ended up going bankrupt and uh, getting a job 
uh, building houses. This is fascinating. So your first yeah. book that felt like it needed to get made. I love this. I mean, because this is where so many, so many of us have been, right? Where it's like, I got him. I'm making this book. You get that creative idea. A lot of people who listen to the show, they're in the throes of their first, their first, like, I'm going to do this for me. This isn't for anybody else. This is for me. And I'm going to try to do it. And, and I think there's a lot, there can be some magical thinking that sort of takes shape there, right? Yeah. That, that's like, you, you, you think that in doing this thing, then you're entitled to some success or something like that. Yeah, and you I, think that, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm finally following my bliss. I'm listening to my passion. I'm aligned with my purpose. So, of yeah, course, yeah. the whole world is going to fall into place around it. <laughs> totally. But that doesn't necessarily happen. Yeah, and that didn't happen way, to you. Not right away. Yeah. Uh, but the way I understand what happened, you know, because when I was writing this book, I had ideas ambitions that, oh, you know, this book is going to make me into a bestseller. I'm going to be famous. I'm going to enjoy rich uh, wealth and status. I'm going to get a big advance from the publisher, et cetera, et cetera. And none of that happened. And no Mm. one wanted to publish it. I self-published it. Mm. I I put it out there. And within a few months, the sales ranking on Amazon had dropped to like number 550,000. Oh my God. Yeah. And it sold five copies that month. Wow. And that was part of this downward spiral mm. where, where I basically was faced with the question, okay, why are you really doing this? Mm. Are you doing it to become rich and famous, to earn respect, to earn approval, et cetera, et cetera? Because if you are, you're not going to get that. So I was given a clarifying crossroads. Mm. Uh, an opportunity, it was, you could even say an initiation that enabled me to say, okay, I'm going to continue this path, even though I'm not going to get the things my ego thought they wanted, thought I wanted. Mm. I'm going to, so, so I got to, I, I became clear in myself that I'm actually doing this in service to what is beautiful to me. Okay. So hold on, camp out there. This is fascinating because, you know, one of the things that gets thrown around a lot Simon Sinek is an author that made very popular this concept of finding your why. People don't buy your what, people don't buy your how, they, they buy your why. And I find entrepreneurs and, and wantrepreneurs to be throwing around this term a lot. Oh, you found your why, that's great. And it's almost like it, um, it seems like to me what I'm hearing, in, it, what I've sensed in my own life as well as what I'm hearing in yours, it's, it's, there's, there's almost like, what I've told people before is like, there's very little victory in, in, in finding your vocation or calling, so to speak. It's more like surrender. It's more like just realizing this, this is the way I kind of have to go no matter what. And I honestly kind of, my ego, in one way to put it, would wish I would go a different way. And a lot of me wishes I could choose a different path. But what I realize is this is, this is my quest this sort of thing. So tell me about this. That's what my, like my sense of this concept of finding your why. When someone says that like idea of finding your why, is that, is there, is that getting to what you're talking about happening here? This clarifying crossroads. That, that might be related. I think sometimes the why inside a business may not have anything directly to do with what the business is ostensibly doing. Mm. Like you might be 
I don't know, even selling insurance or selling real estate or something like that. Mm. In that case, the profession could be a vehicle for another purpose. For example, it could be to bring um, a little light in everybody's day. Mm. I, you know, I had a friend who was a janitor or a custodian in, a, in an office building, and he was kind of down on himself because I wasn't born to push a mop around and change light bulbs. But in fact, in this building full of lawyers, he was the guy that when they were having a personal problem, that they would come and talk to him. Hmm. So I said, yeah, your, your official job is the cover for your real job. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that to some extent that might be true of most entrepreneurs. It's not necessarily that you so your sole calling is to bring whatever app into the world or to, and it, it may be, yeah, maybe it is. I'm, I'm saying most, but, mm. but not all. So it's, it's not necessarily so simple as like this formula of connecting with your sole passion and making that passion into a business. Yeah. The business could be the vehicle for the sole passion. Yeah, it's kind of like what I hear in your story with this clarifying crossroads. It's it's almost like an internal, personal conviction that you are sort of confronted with. Does that make sense? Like what I'm what I'm hearing, and what I what I've kind of personally what I see in my own story as well is almost like this Jungian archetypical kind of. You know, not I guess hero's journey is, is is one place to to couch it, but just this sense that oh wait, like oh, how did you put it? You were like, hey, it may I'm gonna have to do this even if even if it doesn't give me the things that I'm kind of craving with from my ego point of view. Um, I'm gonna keep doing this because why am I doing this? Like, what was your answer that that you came up with if you remember it or in some some ballpark around the answer of like why am I doing this work? Well, I kept writing essays and articles, even though not a lot of people were reading them, just because I just felt called to address these issues that, that were coming up in politics, society, person, personal, you know, consciousness, whatever. Yeah. I, I, I'm just, it's like I'm hearing an invitation and my skill set, my particular constellation of gifts is perfectly matched to the need that I'm seeing. Mm. So, yeah, that's, Sometimes I, I look at things in terms of gift and need, where there's a need in the world that calls forth our gifts and to trust that whatever calls most strongly, even if you can't rationally say why this is the most important or highest impact or most leveraged thing you could do, but to, instead to trust that if I listen to this call, if I follow this call, if I respond to this call, then I'm going to serve the function that I'm supposed to serve in this world. I'm going to going to do what I'm put here on earth to do. Mm. Yeah. It's a kind of trust. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah now, and, and, and now I kind of geek out about this stuff because I see a lot of, I see a lot of entrepreneurs. We, we have a, a business called fizzle where it's, it's a membership like $35 a month. And you're a part of this community of entrepreneurs where there's a bunch of courses and there's a bunch of community activities and conversation in the forums and stuff like that. And weekly group coaching calls and, and everybody's just got this hunger to, to sort of find their way through the world. And we're kind of trying to navigate this question of our curiosities or passions of our calling of our gifts and the needs in the world that we see. And some are looking more opportunistically at things and others are, are looking way more sort of, uh, you know, intuitively sort of bleeding the heart, uh, you know, at their own gift sort of way of a thing, I guess. Right. And, and what I find is that there, there's a way that the person focused on the gift can learn a little bit of how to to learn a little bit about how business works, how 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 networks work rather, how people work, how people looking for your gift might be looking for your gift right now and you might not be in front of them or findable by them. There's some opportunity learning that can happen there and then there's for the people who are a little more opportunistic, there's some there's some soul learning that can kind of happen there, right? And so yeah. we we're kind of like a place where I find a lot of mishmash of a lot of people kind of trying to get that right ingredient set there because having a soul and a heart in business is absolutely a competitive advantage these days is what is what i see very clearly in the market and yet uh for small businesses at least i mean if you don't have a billion dollars to start up your startup then you've got to stand out on something and one of the best things you could stand out on these days is just personal interest and care you know yeah i don't know like do you think that the truth about abs guy like really cares about no, you know, no, making more right. six pack abs in the world. Like, yeah, yeah, no, that's a, and that's yeah. that's a great example of like the the sort of the the opportunistic side of things. Like, hey, look, yeah. there's a hungry need out in the world that people are 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 dead deadly insecure about their bodies, right. and they want a quick fix to fix it. And so we make a solution for it. And so, and I guess that 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 actually speaks volumes to to what fizzles sort of goal is we really do hone in on the people who have a a kind of uh an intuitive an internal compass towards i'm gonna tell the truth i want to be honest i don't want to have to be a douchebag right and there's a lot of other places where you don't where you know that's just that's not necessarily a a numero uno uh value so to speak but i like this question uh, or this moment in your story of finding this crossroads because if i'm honest i have been hungry for that crossroads in my life, right? I have been hungry for that conviction that I believe ends is on the other side. And I believe, and I, and I've kind of been finding it over the past year through this journaling process that I've been doing and just looking at intention and, and gratitude and playing with all those sorts of good things. Right? So, there's, there is this conviction on the other side and it has to do with com- coming to terms with and understanding the shape of the gifts that you end up having. And, and so you seemed like you knew early on, you wanted to be writing. You had this book that you had to write, you put it out and it was, and it, and it was like, you had to change careers. It was so bad in some ways, right? It was like, this is not how it was supposed to go. Um, what happened next? Well, I was, you know, I went bankrupt and <clears throat> worked in construction and kept writing. And, um, Gradually, my work became better known, kind of one little breakthrough after another after another. 
um, you know, something would go like, I wouldn't call it viral, but it would spread. I wrote a, for example, I wrote an article around the time of Occupy Wall Street called No Demand is Big Enough. Mm. <laughs> Excuse me. That reached a lot of people involved in that movement. Mm. And so the kind of one thing led to another. And um, it just built over time. Yeah, how Without, long? How long would you, know, you say it, it was building over? Because you were at the time you were your day. You had a, a day job in construction or something. No, like. that, only, that only lasted six months. Okay, and then and then the writing started paying some well, of your then, way. No, then I, I I worked. I taught part time at Goddard College. Got it. It was like maybe a one sixth time job. Uh huh. And that and you know my book sales kept me kept the flow. You know, solvent. Yeah. Okay. Got Barely. it. And then you had, yeah. then you were, you were, you were doing the, the, the what I love in your example of, of the, your story is you're someone that's sort of pursuing this calling and this, this sort of, you feel this invitation as you put it. And so you were writing these articles, you were expressing these ideas that you couldn't help, but, but feel sort of like in your body somehow. And then over time, a few bits and pieces we call these like home runs when you hit something because viral is like a word that has like a lot of connotations but like if you're going if you're getting up at bat a lot a lot if you're getting up to the plate and swing the bat around you do that enough you're going to start making contact and you get good at doing like your 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 singles and your doubles and event occasionally you will get home runs and those home runs are the things where they they end up being on a lot of people's radars somehow and that's slowly but surely how how that audience is sort of grown. So I love in your story this example of of not being six pack abs guy, right? You know, I'm sure if you had if you were six pack abs guy about <laughs> I don't know about transforming the economy, you'd have you'd have an even wider audience and more slick and all this other stuff. But you've made you I like your word solvent. You've made yourself solvent for yourself and your family from the work you've been doing. And it's like this great example of like a blog post at a time working on things you really care about. And you were able to get that audience to start paying it, not to get them to start paying attention, but that audience started to find you. Right. You could look at it that way. How do you look at it? I look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't really concern myself so much with, what is going to have, what has the potential for virality? What has, mm. what's going to have the biggest appeal? Yeah. Sometimes I would write an article. I would basically respond to one person's email yeah. and then be like, Oh, Hey, do you mind if I publish this? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I really hesitate to try to create a recipe for success mm. because it seems that at certain key moments, synchronicities happened that were beyond my control. Mm. And that I could have been doing, I could be doing the same thing with the same dedication this whole time and be completely unknown and be, from outward appearances, a failure. Yeah. Like, I, I can't say that I did something that other people did and therefore that's why I'm successful. Mm. The world is so much more mysterious than that. Mm, I like that. I really like the way you put that. Steph, what are you what are you hearing over there, Steph? Well, I guess that what you just said, Charles, dredges up a question for me, which is that 
um, now this is kind of something I'm implying and I want to hear if it, if it sits well with you or not. Almost what I'm hearing you say, just based on the story of you mentioned perhaps being driven by more ego-based intentions originally, watching your book slip down to 500,000th place on Amazon or something and only getting five book sales. And then you know, you you managed to continue to answer that call, even though you kind of, I mean, by all accounts, I feel like you kind of got burned or had a little bit of that ego sting. And so is what you're saying that for you, it's it's not been about anyone really paying attention and that you were, have you been able to change your motivation to the point where having people pay attention is kind of just a bonus? Like, are you, are you really that... Because it, it almost sounds like you're so aligned with the, just answering the call and putting the work out there that you feel compelled to write about that whether or not this audience has grown is kind of an afterthought. Is that what you're saying? I mean, I'm, I'm certainly happy when mm-hmm. an article gets widely read and widely shared. It's not like I think that that's bad or anything like that. Yeah. I, I don't want to like come across as judgmental. Like even the truth about abs, like if you're in this to, if you're, what you're serving is personal enrichment, then be honest about that. Mm. Say, yeah, I'm in this because I want to have a six-figure income or a seven-figure income, uh, not including dimes and cents. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm, uh, that's what I want to do. Like, be honest about that. And trust that when you have grown to a point where you no longer want that, then you will no longer want that. So, but to answer your question, maybe it's not like I ignore what people are talking about or ignore public issues. I'm writing a book on climate change right now that I probably wouldn't be writing if I hadn't been privy to many conversations Mm. on the topic that were like, wow, something's really wrong here. Like the whole conversation is wrong. Mm. The whole, it's not which side is right, which side is wrong. The whole premises of the conversation are are faulty, and I've got to say something about this. Mm. So I'll sit down to write, and all of these conversations and things I read, they're in my head, so I'm kind of responding to them. So in a way, I am in communication with an audience. I'm not just... My, my, I, my aesthetic sense is in connection to the world. It's, it's a relationship. Mm. It's not what is beautiful completely outside of who's reading it. So they're, they're, I think any business is the same way. Mm-hmm. You're, if you're creating something, it is part of a relationship with, with other people. And maybe some things, if you're trying to make the world's most beautiful um, private jet or something like that, you're in conversation with very, very few people who can afford to buy a private jet. Mm. So, or it could even be if you're working for some patron or something like that, it might even be, be one person. Um, yeah, that's, that's, I hope that answer was somewhat satisfying. Mm. Yeah. But I don't want to give think- the impression that I'm like some purist, you know? No, because you know it's interesting, the ab example, it's, it, this is just a very interesting conversation because for me, I, my for me, like I have this sales brain. I, my background is in sales, and I'm really interested in what motivates people to do what they do. So I look at somebody who's like the six pack abs guy, and I'm also an optimist, I, I suppose. And so I look at someone like that, and I think, 
who's to say that that guy isn't truly motivated by helping other people feel more secure and happy in their bodies. Like maybe that's, maybe there is a pure intention beyond something that to, to other people may look like a cosmetic or surface thing. Mm. So that's kind of where I'm coming from is trying to get a sense of the motivation for you. It seems like I know that, you know, the stuff you're writing about is, is, is what you are feel so compelled to put out into the world. I suppose I'm just curious about it. It sounds as though in this, the reason I'm asking about this is because I believe it's one of the biggest things that our listeners of this show struggle with is what we've talked about here before as detaching from the outcome or managing to detach from the result. And by result, I mean, you know, the sort of more vanity type stuff, you know, being the bestseller on Amazon, making seven figures. And um, that's kind of the nuance I'm picking up in your story. Would you say that that's true? Like, am I deducing that correctly, that you, you manage to detach yourself from that outcome and just continue to write? It's it's a uh, attitude of trust hmm. that that understands that whoever is meant to read it will read it, and that and 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 kind of also forgiveness for mistakes. Like I think perhaps the title of Sacred Economics was a mistake. It made it not get taken seriously by people in the field because they're not going to read anything that has the title sacred in it, mm. whereas the other half of the population won't read anything that has economics in it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, like, you really <laughs> shot yourself in the foot there. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that might have been a mistake. Although, on the, on the other hand, it really is true to the content of the book. How do we make the money world as sacred as the rest of the universe? Why does it seem that the world of money is lower or dirtier or um, evil. Like why? Mm -hmm. When money is only an agreement among human beings, why Mm -hmm. should it be this bad thing? Like that was, that was the core inquiry of the book. Mm -hmm. So it was true to the book title, but, or to the contents, but from a marketing view, from a communications view, maybe not the best thing. And so I take that information in Mm, yeah, and it doesn't mean that I will mistitle another book in a crass attempt for market share, but it means that my understanding of the psychology and perceptions of the public has evolved, and that information comes in and uh, and alters my aesthetic sense. Yeah, you know what it seems like we're almost talking about here, and I love this. This is fascinating because it's like we're talking about okay you make a book it asks the question and and talks about uh, responses and possible solutions to the question of why do we feel like money is evil when it's just an agreement between people like this should be as sacred or as as you know valuable as as uh, uh, i don't know as life-giving as, as anything else in our natural world and it asks that question, but then the other question that with our like almost marketing brain, we have to say, it's like, how do we get this? It's an important message. It's an important conversation. How do we get this to as many people as possible to, to really be able for these ideas to make the biggest impact that they can, or to make a big impact, yeah. the impact that they deserve. And that seems and, like and that diff- might not, yeah, go for that it. That might not be the right question. How, because, what would be better? Well, I, 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 I personally question the whole logic of bigness. Yeah. 
And so you could look at somebody with a gigantic platform and say, well, obviously this person, let's say Oprah Winfrey, is having a much bigger impact than some old grandmother somewhere mm, yeah. who's taking care of some kids. But what made Oprah Winfrey so capable and audacious? It might have been her relationship with her grandmother. So we could say, actually, the powerful person here, the one who really changed the world, was the grandmother, mm. who, who, whose, world, whose realm was very narrow, who just spent all her time with her grandkids. And I mean, I don't know her biography, but, but there are many invisible people in the world who have a very profound influence on just a few mm. people, maybe in their family or some close friends or someone they mentor or someone they have a special relationship with. Someone could be doing work with, I don't know, death row prisoners who have been falsely accused, you know, falsely convicted. Mm. And he might spend 10 years and finally freeze one from death row. And maybe that guy then goes on to mentor gang youth in, in Watts, and then some of, one of them becomes uh, a world-class violinist, or who knows, like the mysterious pathways by which this world works. Mm. We don't know. The, the, if you get a big platform, big market share, big money, big voice, then you can make a big wave that is visible on the surface. But that doesn't mean that you change the deep currents. Mm. Like, I don't think that <clears throat> the truth about abs, even though it's been, you know, it's his platform is tens of millions of people, not to pick on the poor guy, <laughs> but like, I don't think that in 500 years, we're going to, we're going to say, wow, that guy really made a big impact on the planet's evolution. Mm. He was, he's actually taking, you use the word opportunist. He's taking advantage of an opportunity that exists in the matrix as it is, but he's not really doing anything that I know of to change the DNA of the matrix. Mm. So if you are wanting to create a better future for humanity and all of life, your highest calling may not be something that looks big and successful on the surface. It might be depending on what your gifts are mm. and depending on where destiny has seen foot has seen fit to put you. So I happen to have certain gifts that do suit me to reach, I wouldn't say a huge audience, but you know, like whatever, tens or maybe hundreds of thousands, <laughs> depending on how you count it. Mm. Um, and then, but that doesn't mean that I'm more successful than the humble mentor who's working with five or six kids. Yeah. It doesn't mean that my impact is bigger. It's just that it's more visible to our current way of seeing. Yeah, no, this is this is a, a, a really great perspective, and, and almost like it's just a very grounding, a very grounding perspective. And I, I see what's what's built into it, Charles. Something that you probably had from some earlier point in your life is this. Well, what is what is the point of this whole thing? It is to improve the DNA of the matrix somehow, right? To improve like your your conversation about uh climate change right you're like this whole we're not even we're not even this whole thing is rigged the way that it is we need to 
to tear down all the scaffolding to talk about what really the conversation is, because all of this motion and activity and conversation as it stands now is, is, is not, it's just, it's just motion, but doesn't create any sort of meaningful movement. And, and that seems to be something kind of hardwired into you to see the underneath to get into the root system and to realize that if we can heal the roots, we can heal the tree sort of thing. Would you agree? Yeah. The DNA of the matrix is the story yeah, or the stories that tell us who we are, how the world works, what's real, what's normal, how to be a man, how to be a woman, what success is, what is valuable, important, how to live a life, like mm. what humanity's purpose on earth is, how change happens in the world, like these constitute the mythology of our culture. Mm. And we live in a mythology of separation that Mm. says who you are is a separate individual. Your basic motivation is to maximize reproductive self-interest or rational self-interest. The world is separate from ourselves. What happens to someone in Bangladesh need not affect me if I build a high enough wall between me and them. What happens to nature need not affect me if we develop technological substitutes. Like that is the story of separation that isn't working very well anymore. Mm. And so my work is to serve the metamorphosis of that story into a new story Mm. that is, as you said, the scaffolding for different systems and a different mode of human being-ness and a different economy. And, And it comes up in everything, education, medicine, business, So the transition in business is a transition to the gift where you start with, what is it that I really want to give to the world? What is the need that calls me? And then applying the knowledge of business, how can I do this in a way where I am taken care of too? And where I can keep doing it, where I receive the resources, the input that allows me to continue the output. Mm. That's... that's, you know, a very different approach than saying, "How okay, I want to make lots of money. What's the best way to do it? Oh, yeah. I, I'll sell widgets. I'll sell this. I'll sell that." Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's just kind of a it's a turnaround. Yeah, I like this, and I wanted to ask you more about this concept of the gift. I think you, we might have b- both read that book by the I think the same name. I can't remember who did it, but uh, Lewis Hyde. Yeah, that Lewis Hyde book. God, yeah, that was so good. Um, yeah, it's an amazing book. So this kind, I really can I get you to reiterate what you just said because I feel like that really preaches this idea of looking at things from the perspective of the gift and the gift we want to bring, so to speak, as opposed to well, I guess what I'll be calling the opportunity from this point on in yeah. my life. <laughs> Say that again for me. Uh, well, I mean, I'll I'll rephrase it a little bit. It, it's <clears throat> it's the essence of what we call social enterprise where the social entrepreneur sees a need in the community. It could be, say, uh, at-risk youth with no vocational prospects except drug dealing. So he sees the need. He has a talent, has a gift. Maybe it's repairing bicycles. He sets up a bicycle repair shop in the ghetto and trains, mentors youth to do it. And all this costs some money. So, well... I will sell the bicycles. I'll have a repair business. People can come and fix their bikes. I can, I can get grants maybe from 
from NGOs. Like, so a business model develops, and the business model is in service to what he wants to give, or you could say what he wants to create in the world, what is beautiful to him, hmm. what is meaningful. That means that he is an artist. An artist is a sellout and an imposter if he just makes whatever art is going to sell well. But an artist who puts, who's, who's first master, whose first God is beauty, is this has to be made and it has to be like this. And, and this, that feeling of, of aesthetic satisfaction, that feeling of rightness, that feeling mm-hmm. of alignment mm-hmm. with the creative energy, that comes first. Mm. Often, the seeming disconnect between that motivation and the motivation of how am I going to make more money is an illusion. And when we do something that is beyond what our rational minds can surmise about what the market wants, what the customer wants, what the boss wants, but we do it a little bit better than necessary, then we create the possibility for unexpected gifts to come back to us. If we only do it as good as necessary Hmm. and we mortgage our creativity to what we believe to be practicality um, and the demands of the market and money and what's going to make the most money, then we close off the possibility of a return greater than what we can control and expect. That's good. I like that idea. That That's fascinating, the sense that you're mortgaging your creativity out and you're cutting yourself off from the possibility of a much greater return on the other Yeah, end. and then there's that sigh of resignation, you know, of like making this compromise. And I'm not saying that you should ever make a compromise, but there's going to be, you're going to, this is one of these crossroads, there's going to be these moments where here's the way to do it right. It really should be this way, you know, but we've already taken so much time on it and, and, and it'll be like yeah. one of those moments where, where the new step into doing it beautifully is just at the edge of your courage. So I'm not saying you have to have like this absolute heroic, puritanical, you know, artistic integrity, but it's, it's whatever you're doing there's going to be a next step that presents itself to you that feels a bit edgy. It feels a bit risky. Mm. That's like, wow, I don't know how this is going to pay off, but boy, it really should be done this way. Mm. Mm-hmm. And this is where too, I'd love to kind of go back to one thing that you said earlier, Charles, that honestly really stuck out to me that I feel like I'm going to be taking away from this conversation, which was you use the word trust about trusting that what you're right in your case, what you're writing is finding the right people or trusting that by what you just said, pushing yourself to the edge of doing it beautifully will lead to where it quote needs to go. But then on top of that, you also said something that I I love, would love for you to elaborate on a little bit more, which is the the fact that you're you kind. Of, it sounded like you said you trust that people who are taking in your your content, it's like washing over you and aesthetically changing how you do what you do. So, in the example of the bicycle repair, that person might you know tweak and change a little bit of 
what he does in his business based on how he sees the satisfaction of the customer, not because he's looking for the opportunity to make a buck, but because he sees that maybe using this type of chain versus that kind actually, you know, provides a greater longevity for the bike. I don't know. I'm just making that up. Yep, but it's, exactly. It's, there's like something to it where mm-hmm. instead of being so obsessed with the opportunity, you trust that by listening, your mind will almost be, is it almost like subconsciously you're getting closer to the heart of, of, Attraction? Yeah, that's exactly it. So it's not like the arrogant artist who disdains the world and ignores the feedback of the world. But yeah, it's like, wow, they want this kind of bike and not that kind of bike. I'm going to have to adjust the business model. It's not, well, this is the right kind of bike and I don't care what they think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It seems like, like the, so much of the, uh, of, I mean, what really, what really turns me on is, is professional creativity. Right, because it's it's just it's there's always been there's always been a, a place for the professional creative, the cobbler, the orator, the tutor, the uh, I think all of these I think the, the carpenter I think all of these jobs are profoundly creative, even though they're 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 trades maybe on the surface as well, but there's others yeah. like the craftsmen of, of any kind and craftswomen. So, but the sense that that there's this dialogue. What I find is, and it maybe is akin to what we spoke about before. Oh, I have this idea burning within me to create this book. And we get afraid or we get a, a sense that not afraid, but rather, rather overconfident that this entitles us to success. Look, I'm aligning mm-hmm. myself with my bliss, with the universe, with this, that, and the other, I'm in alignment. And now this entitles me to success. And this gets us to that Steph bit about detaching from the results, the success, that sort of stuff that our ego thinks we're entitled to that that yeah. our fear thinks we need in order for this creative work to be valuable or worthwhile but there is this there is and of course the the, the tactic there being to fall in love with the work do the work make the i always picture this you know zen master making a box and he's just like this is this is wooden box this is box <laughs> you know what i mean and you get and it's like it's just okay. a simple box what are you thinking charles yeah so the way that so so we're not I'm not talking about again ignoring the feedback of the world and sales were five five copies. It could mean that you know Charles, you wrote something that is not actually serving because you were so wrapped up in your intellectual conceit that you you were disconnected from yeah. right. That could be the message. The reason that I kept doing it was because I was getting feedback. It wasn't through money, but it was other kinds of feedback that yeah. people saying, wow, Charles, this, this, this book or this article really changed my life. And also I was deeply in love with the book. So that kept me going. But eventually if I kept writing and I kept getting ignored at some point, you got to ask, is this because I'm just speaking to myself? Mm. Business can be the same. Mm-hmm. The way that money is supposed to work is it's supposed to be a signal to the entrepreneur that what I am offering is valuable because you want to offer something valuable and, and you need feedback to know whether it's valuable or not. Mm. Money uh, sales figures, for example, can be one kind of feedback. It's, it's the, the people out there saying, yes, we like this. Thank you. This meets a need. That's how it's supposed to work mm. in an ideal world. Practically speaking, a lot of money is made by manipulating needs and providing substitutes for what's really needed and so forth. But there is a 
beautiful core, an essence of business that could be the basis of what I would call a sacred economy. So in order to anticipate that future and to align ourselves with that future and that world, we can begin incorporating that already. And that's what I was talking about in terms of orienting from you know, the orientation of gift. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's interesting. I love this idea you just introduced of how interesting it would be as an entrepreneur to look at money and sales as not a measure of your worth, which is definitely something that our customers and listeners of the show and ourselves have run into. I think all of us look at, especially as entrepreneurs, you put your sacred work out into the world and it doesn't sell. And you start to ask all these questions about like, who am I to be doing this? Maybe I'm not cut out for it. It's interesting to instead look at money and sales as what if it is little more than a sign of connectedness, that it's a sign that you are connecting to a greater something, whether it's an, a need or a desire to learn or a solution. I love that shift of instead of looking at you know the sales and money as as purely ego based, and you know I'm building a seven figure business just because that's what people on the internet say is success, and instead you know that every transaction is like a connection or a way of someone saying this this meets some some need for me mm. or this is something that I'm interested in or this is something that I want to go deeper with. Mm. Yeah, it's an affirmation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, and I, I think it, it needs to be understated how important the role for all of us um, those bits of feedback that we get over time are. Right, like Charles was getting that feedback, even though here's uh, here's a big piece in my in my Google spreadsheet on how is the book doing, <laughs> the Amazon sales. They, that's a pretty big piece, and it doesn't look very good. But here's these other pieces that I'm sure that I that are just naturally flowing to me. And I'm, I'm I'm noticing them too. I'm oh, I got this piece of, of you know this text from a friend, this email from a person I've never met before. This mm-hmm. this this that and the other, all of these sorts of things that are just giving. I feel like my whole life has been just little breadcrumbs like that and that's Mm -hmm. when people ask me like how are you so confident how can you how do you put something out there even though and then and then walk away from it smiling when it fails it's like because like i've gotten used to trusting those breadcrumbs are there because Mm -hmm. what what has fueled me for the past for for long enough i learned how to make those my fuel the connection is is can become your fuel and it just takes time to learn how to be connecting with people how to how to understand what the gift is that you have to bring to them Right? That's that's a whole other thing. Charles, I feel like I could talk to you for for a really long time. I really, really appreciate your depth and your wisdom on this stuff and, and the level at which you've been thinking about it. I can't thank you enough for being on the show, man. Yeah, well, I enjoyed it as well. All right, so there you have it. That is fizzleshow.co slash 243. That's where you'll find the show notes and the articles and the links that are associated with this episode here. You can always go to fizzle.co slash toolkit to get your free version of the toolkit, which is the 10 best episodes of the podcast The uh, and four other guides like the business sketch template, one page business plan, super killer stuff. Fizzle.co slash toolkit. Listen, here's an iTunes review from BizBob in the US of A who wrote that episode 225 just gutted him. He said, Paul's letter struck at the heart of what could be all of our insecurities. Especially love the part where he says he stopped listening to Fizzle. I've been there. Yes. Thank you for being vulnerable, Paul. I love that. I don't know what, I don't remember what Paul was saying about stopping listening to Fizzle. You know, that actually, that actually makes my insecurities kind of flare up. So 
BizBob. I like thank thank you. I think so. <laughs> Thanks, BizBob, for the review. You know, if you haven't yet, you can leave us a review. Just go to iTunes, look for the show, and click write a review. We love to read each and every one of those, no matter where in the world you send them from. Okay, guys, that's it for this episode. I hope you liked that episode. I thought it was super deep. And I think every bit as actionable for our daily lives as any of the other episodes we do here. So our thanks to Charles. If you want to, send him a shout out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Share this episode because it's deep, y'all. All right, find care, take care, serve hard, and dig in. Talk to you next week on The Fizzle Show.